This is Stephen, and I'm here with my very good friend, John Carey. Say hi, John. Hi, John. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, Bay Life. How we doing? Lots to celebrate this morning. Two more people put their faith in Jesus this week here at our church. Thank God for that. And as you saw on our screens, uh, we had an opportunity this summer to send some of us, some of our people, uh, over to the Village of Hope in Uganda. If you're not familiar with that ministry, it's some, uh, it's an organization we've been partnering with for years now around here and. Uh, this past year, we wanted to make sure that all the kids who are part of Village of Hope, they're, they're orphans who have been rescued from IDP camps uh, in the northern part of Uganda. Their parents uh, have been lost to them through the war there, some of them. Uh, their parents have succumbed to disease like AIDS and things like that. So uh, these kids have nobody, and uh, some Ugandan uh, you know, believers just decided that they were going to start housing them. They got involved with some Americans, and and here we go. We get hundreds of kids now in a couple different campus, campuses, and they're growing up, getting their education, hearing about Jesus. They needed shoes, and so this past uh, uh, year, we we put the challenge out to you guys to get some shoes. Uh, we needed about three or three hundred or so, three or four hundred pairs. Uh, we, we were able to collect enough from you guys to buy six hundred and sixty-three pairs of shoes, and uh, so uh, that was uh, something that celebrated this uh, this past year. And uh, we have the, uh, the letters that the kids wrote to us. If you uh, actually bought a pair of those shoes, you had a chance to write a little note to the, to the child that was going to receive the shoes from you. They wrote you back. And so if you did that, you can go and ask one of our uh, team from our missions uh, department to give you a copy of that letter. They'll give you the, uh, the scan of, of those letters that are hanging there. And you can take that home as a remembrance of what God did through you in that kid's life. How cool is that, right? It's pretty cool. So... So it's a great day. Uh, I've had a great uh, few services already. Glad you're here. If you're new, hi, my name is Mark. We're starting a new series today. It's called Trust and Obey. I'm going to pray, 
and we're going to get going, so bow your heads and let's pray as we open God's Word. Lord, thanks so much for a chance to uh, just open your Word and, and hear from you. Lord, as we talk about uh, trusting you and being obedient to you in these next few weeks, uh, lead us, Lord, in, in new ways to what those things are in our lives. Lord, uh, we, we find obedience to you to be easy in some capacities, and then in certain areas of our life, that's just almost impossible. We, we trust you with lots of things, God, uh, but then there's certain areas of our lives, again, where we just refuse to. So my hope, Lord, is that as we go through these next few weeks, we would learn to step outside of our comfort zones and to trust you with more and to obey you with more uh, and in more, uh, and that you would uh, use these weeks to, to move us forward in our relationship with you. As always, God, I need to get out of the way so that you can speak in my place, so do that now. Teach us uh, about your trustworthiness so that we can obey you more, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was 25 years old, and I had um, one of my worst Sundays in church ever. You want to hear about it? Um, I, I like coming to church. I love God's uh, church as people, and I love being a pastor. And I grew up going to church uh, pretty much my whole life. wasn't as big a fan, uh, to be honest, in my earlier years. But, uh, uh, but I'd always had a decent time at church until this one particular Sunday. I was 25 years old, and I attended the church service where my father, who had been a pastor all of my life, and uh, for 30 years, uh, he, he resigned from his post at this church. Uh, it wasn't a, a good uh, re- resignation. He had to resign. Uh, he'd made some mistakes in his life morally. Uh, the kind of mistakes that didn't just cost him his job as a pastor, uh, but could have and probably should have cost him his relationship with my mom. So I came from Dallas, Texas, where I was a pastor at the time, a youth pastor at the church there in Dallas, and I drove home <clears throat> so I could watch my dad um, well, air his laundry in front of his church family and then, you know, uh, be done. <clears throat> my, uh, my recollections of that service are almost zero. I, I'm glad that God has erased it from the, from the memory. Uh, but I do remember the end of the service, and that's kind of what's inspired this, this series that we're going into. My mom asked our pastor, my dad was the associate pastor, my, my mom asked the senior pastor of that church if she could get up and share at the, at the end of that service, which was very, you know, these are uncustomary services anyway, but that was pretty uncustomary and an unco- uncustomary service. So, uh, but he agreed, and so my mom closed the service. And it was, it was ap- uh, apropos because lots of people had wondered if my mom was going to stick around, you know, that my dad had done what he had done, and I was, you know, basically resigning in shame. Was she going to, you know, stay with him or go? She had biblically the rights to go. Uh, because he had stepped out on her, but uh, um, they didn't know. So she thought she'd get up and basically share where God had taken her. So she got up and uh, set her jaw and then just started something like this. She said, uh, a lot of you have been wondering, you know, about our family. Uh, God's grace has been sufficient for all of my adult children, and we were all sitting in the front row, and myself, uh, as, as Paul, my dad's name is Paul, uh, walks through this stuff. I... Uh, I want you to know I'm staying with my husband. That was her second sentence. Uh, and she went on to say, uh, I know I don't have to. Uh, according to God's word, I can leave. But as I pray and as I seek God in this situation, uh, my sense from him is, is that I'm, I'm, I'm still to, to stay by his side and that there's more for us to experience as a husband and a wife. Uh, I trust in him, is what she said. And even though... Uh, it might defy or, or, you know, 
cause wonder in your minds as to why I'm doing that. I'm sticking around. Now, just, you know, I've told you this before, but that kind of ruined me as a pastor in marriage counseling. If my, my mom and dad will stay together through something really hard, uh, I'm going to kind of lean into grace and hope for you and your relationship. Recognize not every relationship is going to be able to last, but uh, my hope is that, you know, you'll give every opportunity for it too. So uh, she finished. She said, uh, the, the reason I'm doing this is because as I've prayed through this whole thing and cried myself to sleep most nights and tried to figure out what to do, uh, God just keeps putting a song in my head. Has anybody ever gotten a, you know, a song stuck in their head like, oh, Mickey, you're so, oh, there it is. <laughs> but uh, my mom didn't listen to pop, pop music, so uh, the songs that got stuck in her head were the hymns of the church. We grew up, you know, uh, hymnal Baptists. Anybody a hymnal Baptist? Uh, we sang these songs from books before they were putting them on the walls and uh, projecting slides. And, and, uh, and, and by the time I was 10, I knew m- almost all the hymns because we only sang 12 of them. We had this whole book, and we only sang 12. <laughs> we just keep cycling them, you know. And, uh, and this is one of the hymns that we sang, and it was the hymn that kind of God used to prompt my mom to sticking around with my dad. And it was this hymn, it was Trust and Obey. Trust and Obey, because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And so she said, that's all I'm doing. I'm just trusting them, and I'm obeying them. I wish I could tell you that everything was great after that for my parents, you know, that my mom's stance and sticking the flag in the ground and saying, I'm sticking this out, uh, was rewarded uh, by this incredible blessing and restoration. And all. So my dad was never a pastor again. Uh, there were, I, I shouldn't say there were no blessings. I mean, God took care of my parents until my dad's death three or four years ago. Um, but but it was it was hard. My my dad uh, and mom went through ostracization in the Christian community uh, because failed pastors. We, we like to shoot our wounded. The Christians do, and and uh, so you know a lot of people weren't kind uh, to to them, and and they lost not just their income that day, but they lost their family. They they you know people just look at you different after you go through something like that, and um, it was hard. Uh, they both found work after that, and so they were able to support themselves in, in some form. But uh, it was just a few years after my dad resigned that he, he was diagnosed with cancer. And for nine years, he battled, battled cancer up until the point that he died. And when my mom, uh, you know, was, was walking with my dad through those last, you know, months of his life, uh, if you've ever been a caregiver of someone who's, you know, ill, you, you know it's the baths and the diapers and all those things. And, and that's what my mom uh, had, had to look forward to after making this decision to trust and obey. But she, she would tell you today, she, she wouldn't change it. She wouldn't change it. It was hard, but she wouldn't change it because she knew it was what God would have for her, and her trust for her God was strong then, but it's like, it's like ninja now, right? Because she's walked through all of this stuff uh, in, in faithfulness to, to his leading. And uh, he, is, he, is, he is more uh, real and intimate to my mother now than he ever would have been. Had she, had she walked away. Are you with me? Yeah. Uh, we want to talk about this whole concept of trusting and obeying and how it's related in, in these coming weeks. I, I think the two are inextricable. In fact, I would submit this to you. you. You can obey for a while without trusting the person that you're obeying or following or serving or whatever. But after a while, if you don't trust that person who's in leadership or authority over you, obedience just gets almost impossible. You just can't do it anymore, Right? I mean, we've seen it throughout history where a, a feeble leader gets in place, and pretty soon the, the, the people he leads just stop following him. 
Uh, I, I, you know, it happens in our lives in, in many kind of smaller ways. I, I remember when Siri came out, you know, the, the phone voice that talks to you on, on those iPhones. Who's got a, anybody got Siri? I know it's on all the phones now. It's phones can, we live in a golden age. Phones can talk to us. But uh, I remember when it first came out, I was so excited because you could have these conversations with your phone. You could ask it to, you know, remember an appointment or to call somebody or to text somebody or, or one of my favorite things was, hey, Siri, help me find. And I would say, find whatever. And it would, you know, Siri would start spitting out directions, turn here, turn there. And all of a sudden you'd end up where you were. It was brilliant. Except in those first few months, they hadn't quite worked out all the kinks. Then I remember uh, back in, when Siri first came out, the, the, the GPS wasn't talking with the interface of the software. And so uh, every once in a while, if you were in the wrong place on our globe and Siri started spitting out some you know, directions, you weren't going to end up where you thought you were. I was in Dallas, Texas, uh, and I was uh, doing a wedding for an old friend there. I, I, I got there, and I realized I'd forgotten to pack my, uh, my white shirt, and that's, that's a big deal because you've you got to wear one of those under the suits. It just looks funny without it. So, uh, so I had to find me a white shirt, and so I asked Siri to help me find a men's warehouse. And then I started dutifully just following Siri to what I thought was going to be Wednesday, wherever else. But when we got to the destination, you arrive at your destination. Has anybody ever heard your phone tell you that? Your destination is on the left. Like, celebrate, right? Well, I was in a field somewhere uh, north of town, you know? And, and I was starting to get a little, you know, I was like, Siri, I don't think you know where you're going here, but... Uh, Let's try again. Is, you know, is there another men's warehouse? Well, there's another one 10 or 11 miles from here. And I said, all right, well, maybe we, you know, this, this is a proposed men's warehouse, and it hasn't been built yet. So we'll go try to find the other one. Well, same deal. And this time it led me to a gas station. I got out at a mobile. They don't sell men's uh, dress shirts at mobile, just so you know. But that's when I decided, you know what, Siri, you're done. Not listening to you anymore. And I did what we used to do before Siri. I went into a gas station, and I asked them, where's men's warehouse? That's amazing. It still works. The guy in there knew. And, uh, and I, I got my shirt. But yeah, if you, don't, if, if you don't believe in the one that you're giving yourself to, it's just hard to, to follow that person. If, if, uh, if you've gone to a restaurant all your life and it's always you know, giving you the tacos the way you like it, but then, like I used to go to this one place, and I don't know if they changed management or what they did, but it's just not the same. So I go, I'll go there one night, and I didn't get the tacos the way I like. And I was like, well, you know, maybe it was just a bad night. Go back the next time. Same deal. They'd raise their prices like a couple bucks on each of them. So now I've got to pay more to not get the tacos that I like, right? I go the third time. It was another bad experience. Service was slow, all this stuff. Guess what happened? That restaurant is dead to me, right? <laughs> I'm not going back. Not because I hate them or I'm particularly mad at those people. It's just like, no, I mean, constant failure, Breach of trust, if you want to call it that, it leads to just an unwillingness to follow. So, same thing in our relationship with God. You know, I, used to, well, I get up here every week and I preach obedience of some form or fashion, right? Here's the Bible, here's what it says, here's the do's and the don'ts. And so, go do the do's and go don't the don'ts. And, and everybody gets to walk out of here and decide if they're going to do it. But I will tell you, the success of that obedience, of you going and living as God uh, prescribes in His Word, is directly correlated. I mean, it is proportional to your trust in him in your life. Because we'll obey him in the things that are easy to trust him. But in the, in the times where things get rough, you know, where we should be listening to him most, if we don't trust him in those areas, then we, we default back to ourselves and our own measures. And obedience goes out the window. 
If we don't build our trust muscles, obedience, well, it's just less likely in our lives. So I want to talk for the next seven weeks about that, six, seven weeks, uh, about uh, from stories from the scriptures, just different accounts as we pop in and out with some of my favorite characters in the Bible. But we're going to see how trust uh, changed the outcomes in their lives and how trust can change the outcome in ours. My desire and prayer for our church all along has been, God, make us a church that is made over in the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. Make us Christians look like Christ. Okay? I want us to be obedient. I want us to be a righteous group. I think that the world has yet to see what a church fully devoted for, to Jesus can accomplish in Jesus' names. Jesus' name. And my prayer is for us to become that church that we are fully devoted, following him in every phase and every facet of life. We've got strong marriages. We're leading God-honoring kids. We're doing all those things to the glory of God as we obey him. But I am certain now that that prayer for obedience is not enough. I need to pray, and you need to pray with me, that God would make us a church that trusts in God, that we would raise our ceiling. Everybody in here has got a trust ceiling. Did you know that? Everybody in here has got a trust ceiling. Uh, if you want to prove that, uh, I'll, I'll meet one of you in the foyer, and I'll come up to you, and I'll say, hey, can I hold your wallet? And some of you look at me, and you'll be like, absolutely no. Your trust ceiling for me is here. But some of you will be like, sure, you can hold my wallet, because your trust ceiling for me is here. But then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to walk away. And the further I get from you, the closer you're going to get to your ceiling. And I'm going to get just about out the door, and some of you are going to be like, hey, pastor, one second. Uh, you going to bring that back? And I'll say something like this. Hey, don't you trust me? I'm a man of the cloth. I'm a, I'm a brother in Christ. I'm your pastor. And then I keep walking out the door. And you're going to be like, oh, I think I trust him. No, i got to get him, and you're going to run after me. Why? Well, because... Everybody's got a ceiling. And for most of us, if we're, you know, honest, our, our ceilings, uh, you know, if, if, if trusting God has been easy for us, it's probably because for the most part, I'm not saying without exception, but for the most part, our lives have been fairly good. And so we haven't had to trust as much as maybe some other people that we know. But I can tell you this, life is going to present situations. If it hasn't already, there will be situations in your life where you're going to hit your ceiling. And so when we get to those situations, my prayer for us as a church is that we've already raised the roof. We've gotten to a point that whatever comes, our trust in God is strong, so our obedience is second nature. It is our nature. Because we trust, we obey. So that's where we're going. Just want to talk a couple uh, things today. We'll see how far we get with them. Haven't gotten far at all in the last couple services. I'll just be honest. It just, you know, it works out that way. But two questions that I want to answer. The first one is this. Why can we trust in God? Why can we trust in God? There's lots of reasons. But I've, I've found that the, 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 the big reasons that we can trust in God are the same reasons that we, could, we, we seek to find in trusting each other. Like the first reason, just see if you can follow me on this. The first reason we can trust in God is because God doesn't lie. He never lies. He tells the truth. Don't you find it easier to trust someone that you know is telling the truth? Anybody got kids? Anybody ever heard stories from your kids and you've been like, hmm, that's an interesting tale. You say you didn't eat any of the cookies, but there's chocolate chip goo all over your face. Methinks you doth lie, right? And so the next time the kid comes and tells you stories about, you know, the missing food, you're like, hmm, maybe not, Junior. 
Let's uh, figure this out, right? It's easier to trust people who tell the truth. Like, I don't know about you. There's certain things in my life. Uh, I depend on people who I know are honest more than I look for people who I know are, uh, you know, excellent. Like, here's what I mean. Uh, I I want someone to fix my car. I don't know anything about my car. I am already behind the eight ball when I bring my car into a, a mechanic. Uh, and if I don't know the mechanic, I can't help it. My, it's probably just my human nature. But I feel like you're lying to me. Every time you tell me that something's broken in my car, I'm like, well, how much are you getting on that? Because it seems like every time I go to see a mechanic, it's 1000 bucks. $1,000 every time I come to see you? Come on. Seriously? I just wanted the oil changed. <laughs> and you found $1,000 worth of repairs? My, my default, just so you know... Until I find someone in, a, in an area that I've moved to or whatever that I trust, my default is to say no to whatever repair someone recommends for me because I don't trust you. Now, a blessed thing happens usually in, in those situations. I find someone I can trust. Now, they may not be the fastest mechanic. They may not even, you know, uh, I, I'm, I won't just let anybody work and, you know, break my car further. But, but, but they, they, there might be sharper mechanics out there is what I'm saying. But if I know he's not going to lie to me, and tell me that the Dimiflitchi is, you know, acting up with the who's a what's and it's a thousand bucks. Which is what it sounds like when a mechanic talks to me. I mean, just start speaking Dutch. It's, it's going to sound the same, right? Yeah, just fix it. Okay, pal? And don't, don't rip me off. That's all I want. Same thing when we started building this house. The first, the, uh, we, we, we rebuilt the house. Many of you are familiar with the process. I've talked about it a lot. But, uh. But the first thing I did is I found someone I knew who could be my contractor that I trusted. Now, I'd never worked with him before. I, I, I figured he was really good at what he was, and he was really good at what he did. But the, the, but the baseline for me was i got to know this guy. i got to know that when he comes to me, because here's what happens in house projects. You start with a budget, and it doubles, right? And you find things as you're going along, if you've watched HGTV, you know, that have to be repaired and replaced. And, this, and so where my money is, is tied in, I want to know that the dude across the table is not creating things, fabricating things, so that he can pad his pockets. If it's got to be fixed, I want to know and believe that what you're telling me is true. And I'll be okay with it, right? Can everybody just breathe a sigh of relief that our God is that kind of spiritual contractor, spiritual He tells the truth. There's nothing that's ever come out of his mouth that was false. Truth with a big T. That had to be a pain for all of Jesus' brothers and sisters when he was growing up, right? Because the Son of God comes to earth. He's perfect in every way. He never sins, and so he never lies. So Mary comes in. The vase is broken. She looks at Jesus. Who did it? James. And James is punished, right? And off, and, and, but, you know, not a big... Jesus wasn't a big, you know, number one with a bullet with his brothers and sisters growing up, but he never told a lie. Still hasn't. Never will. And so if you're looking at this for like stop one on why you can trust God, why you can trust his son Jesus, he don't lie. Says it in lots of different ways and a lot of different places in scripture, but this is one of my favorite. It's from a guy named Balaam. It's in Numbers, a book we don't always, you know, talk about in church, but uh, uh, Balaam had this donkey. It's another story for another day, but he was also kind of a truth teller about God. And this is what he said about God one of his discussions with a guy named uh, Balak, he says, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He's not like us. He's not like the people who can boldface lie right to your face. 
He's not someone who changes his mind as capricious. Has he said it, and will he not do it? That's a rhetorical question. Answer, yeah. If he says it, he's going to do it. Has he spoken, and he will not fulfill it? Again, no, he's going to do what he says. Because he does not lie. Second reason we can trust the God. He doesn't lie. And we can also trust him because he has the power to keep his promises. He has the power to keep his promises. Anybody can make promises. Uh, unfortunately, far too humans choose to keep their promises. And then occasionally, even humans who want to keep their promises, they're just unable to. Because they don't have the power to see through the things that they've promised that they will do. God's not that way. He's not encumbered uh, by inability. You and I have that. He does not. He is omnipotent. That means all-powerful. If he says he's going to do it, he's not a liar. And guess what? If he says he's going to do it, he's got the power to trump any force that would keep him from doing it. That's reassuring. That's, that's what trust can be built on. God has the power to do what he promises. I, uh, I have people in my life that are my go-to people. Does anybody have go-to people? You know, they're just the ones that you trust that if something needs to get done, they'll get it done. I even have some people in my life that are go-to people who, who uh, under-promise and over-deliver. No one likes someone who over-promises and under-delivers, right? But if, but if someone under-promises and then over-delivers, like exceeds your expectation, I mean, they just start sliding up your top ten list of people in the world, right? Because you're like, oh, this, this, i got, I got to get more of this guy. This is this guy uh, that lots of people uh, have been amazing and helped me out with a, our church. But this one guy, his name's, uh, I call him Osha because he does everything right. Everything's by the book and done correctly, which has been, you know, in our relationship, kind of a frustrating for thing for me because you can imagine that's just not that important to me. Done. That's what's important. Let's just get it done. But he's like, no, there's all these steps that are necessary so that when you are done, it's done forever. I'm, I'm, he's teaching me this, and I really like it because things don't break. When I fix things, it's like Ikea. It breaks, right? But when he fixed things, it doesn't break because he does it right. So I call him Osha. And uh, Osha helped me put in the, the, the walkway that's in front of my house. We put this brick walkway in, and he taught me how to do it right, you know, level everything off. It's beautiful. It's really a nice piece of workmanship, and, and I had a part in it. I, he helps me figure things out and work with him. Uh, we got most of it done on this particular Saturday, but there was, there's all these bricks you have to cut when you're bending a, a walkway, and, and they're little spacer bricks. You know, it's just a pain. And so we got as many of them cut before it got dark. And, and he said, you know what, let's, let's just take, take the night and, and we'll try to get back to this. Well, one day turned into a week, turned into four or five weeks. But uh, he promised at that time, listen, I'll come back and we'll get this finished so it'll, it looks right and it doesn't fall apart and all that stuff. Well, that was Saturday that he decided uh, with me that we would do that. So he came over Saturday morning and sure enough, we filled in all the bricks. But you know what Osha said to me after that? Hey, do you remember? And just so you know, if you ever start a question or a, or a conversation with me with do you remember, 98% of the time, uh, No. I just, just whatever you're going to say. No, I don't. Because I don't have, I'm not that guy. I'm not the guy who remembers stuff. If my staff were in here, they would all, yeah, there'd be amens everywhere. Anyway, um, but he says, do you remember us talking about your garage and, uh, and, and actually rearranging parts of your garage so it was, you know, more suitable for you to put stuff in. It was cleaner and all that stuff. And he talked about it long enough that I did remember. I was like, oh yeah, we're going to hang bikes and we're going to do all this stuff. And he says, well, listen. If you, don't, you know, we're done this other part, but if you're cool, let's, let's just do that right now. So I was like, I don't have any of those hooks. He says, well, I went and got some. I was 
like, wait a minute, you went and got stuff for my garage? So I could, he's like, yeah. He's like, so, and he hauls it. He's got this trailer and this truck. It's got all the cool tools. It's that guy, right? He's got every tool. And so he hauls out all this stuff, and all of a sudden I'm drilling holes in the concrete of my garage, and I'm hanging bikes, and I'm hanging up lawn chairs. He, he actually took me way past the time that I thought we'd be done to where I had to say, listen, OSHA, i got to go to work. i, I got to preach tonight. So, and he stayed after I had to go inside to get ready to go to work, and he finished this one last thing. You talked about under-promising, over-delivering. I had punched the clock, and oh boy, still going. <laughs> Love that, right? If you've got someone like that in your life, you know. Man, I, I'd trust him with anything. I'd trust him to fix anything in my house, to do it right, uh, and, and I'm so appreciative. Well, that's God. God isn't necessarily under-promise because he can promise, and there's no such thing as under-promise. But, but when he promises, he delivers because he's able to do so. He does it right. Now, we may not agree with his plan. Anybody ever done that? Come on. Hands in the air. If life hasn't worked out like you thought it would or what you wanted it to, you didn't agree with God's plan because here's what I know. What's happened in your life? That was God's plan. His overarching plan was that those things would happen. And, and listen, even if you were the victim of some things or even if you made bad choices and and and. and all of those things God foresaw coming, and he knew they were coming, and he said, I'm going to take those things, I'm going to use them for the good of this person and the people around them. And so when it comes to his promises, when it comes to his power, they're unfailing. It says so in Psalm 89, it says this, I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. David, speaking on behalf of God, said this is his character, this is his nature. He's not going to turn back on his promise. Look what it says in the book of Isaiah, verse 14, or verse 24 of chapter 14. The Lord of hosts has sworn, he's promised, as I have planned, so shall it be. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. God has the power to keep his promises. He doesn't lie. And then finally, he's got a proven track record. He's got a proven track record. Anybody got a Bible? Who's got a Bible? Anybody bring a Bible to church? I recommend you bringing your Bibles to church. It's always fun to have one. You can have it in electronic form, paper form. You can have it memorized. I don't care. Bring it. But in that book, we have the evidence of God's track record. Normal people like you and me, living in a time as the Bible was being written, that God interacts with, and, and he shows his trustworthiness through his relationships with these people. And if you've ever read the Bible that way, it is the support material, the evidence of God's faithfulness to man. Even after the first two said, no, God, thanks so much. Uh, in fact, we think that the snake told us that you're trying to trick us. You're trying to get a leg up on us. We want to be on par with you, so we're going to eat this fruit. And then off, you know, everything went. He punished them in justice and all those things, but he didn't leave them there. He didn't shake the out to sketch and go home. He said to humanity, hey, I'm going to make a way. I'm going to send my son. I'm going to, I'm going to reunite with you, reconcile with you, forgive you, and redeem you. That's, that's what the Bible is. It's a story of God's faithfulness to a sinful humanity, right? It's his track record. But not just that. God has a track record, not just in the Bible, but he has a track record in your life and in my life. Isn't that true? That, like, if you look back, and this is, this is you know, <laughs> this is hard for us to do, especially if, if you're coming here this morning and you're in the middle of a mess. If you're in the storm, like I know Erica's coming, whatever form she is, but... Uh, but if you're in, in your life's hurricane and you're expecting, you've been praying to God and asking to God to heal or, 
or redeem or re- reconcile or whatever your needs are uh, to give you that job that you haven't had or whatever. And, and he just has been slow on the uptake. He's just not, he's not acting according to your schedule. And you're starting to get frustrated with God. I've talked to people who are just, not just frustrated, flat out mad, angry. Angry to the point that they're like, they're threatening disbelief in God. You know what? I just don't believe he's there. Well, okay. Just because you don't believe he's there doesn't mean he isn't. Okay? But, uh, but that's how mad they are. God is failing me. If he was a loving God, he wouldn't let these things happen, blah, blah, blah. And here's what happens. When, the, when that pressure and that, that angst comes into our lives, it just affects us in so many ways, right? Stress hits your world. You're, you're a different person. And spiritually, that's, that's the truth as, as well. When, when, when those things happen, spiritually, things start shutting off in our heads. So we get this thing that I call spiritual amnesia. Spiritual amnesia. There you go. He didn't hear me. Spiritual amnesia. We can forget what God has done in our past because he's not doing for us in our present. And we can start wondering, is he going to do anything for me ever? But here's what has to happen. We have to remember those things because if we look back, God's got a proven track record in our lives. He's done things over and over. In fact, if anything good has hit your grid, that is the grace of a loving God. All the good that's come in your life is a, is a blessing from him. Now, we don't even pause to think of all the things that he kept from coming in our lives. Has anybody ever, like, driven, I've talked about this before, driven past an accident where if you hadn't just stopped to go into Walgreens and grab a pack of gum, you would probably, if you timed it out, you would have been there when that car accident happened. And you probably just thought to yourself, well, that was lucky, that was fortunate. But God in his, his, his mercy and his love for you, kept you from whatever could have been. We don't even think about those things. We don't, don't even bother with that. Just think about the things that God has evidently done and see them as his provisions. Can he be trusted? Yeah. Why? Because he came through in my past. We'll talk more about this in a little bit. But those are the reasons we can trust God. What I want to do with the time that I have with you, uh, left with you is just talk about, and this is what we'll do for the whole series, is I want to talk about uh, how do I trust God more? How do I trust God more? How do I grow? How do I move my ceiling? So that trusting God becomes my nature and therefore obedience follows. Well, there's lots of things with this. I'm going to kind of list them off because I'm not going to get to them. Uh, Getting to know him more. We're going to talk about that first. Uh, Believing in his sovereignty, that God is in control. That's huge. Maybe I'll just preach on that one day. Uh, understanding that he's smarter than us. That's a big one, too, when it comes to trusting him more. Because let's be honest, let's touch on that for a second. If if we think that God is failing us, what are we really saying? God, you're you're dumb. You're not doing it the way that I do it. The way that I would do this is this. But you're not doing that. So you're obviously showing that you're intellectually inferior to me. Which is a pretty bold statement to be saying to an almighty being. Is everybody with me on that? But in our arrogance, that's what we do. Hey, God, I know how this is working. This this is what we love to do with the will of God. I understand you have your will and purposes and all that things. But here's an addendum. And we take this piece of paper and we get the will of God and we take it and we staple on top of the will of God our plan. Here's the addendum to your will, God. It was a good first try, good first draft. But here's how things should really be. 
thus saith me. Right? But understanding that God's wisdom supersedes ours, that he, listen, his plans, we may not know his plans as, as horrible things come or as circumstances come. We, we may be in the middle of those things and wondering why they're happening. We may be five years from those things and wondering why they're happening. But then something occurs later in our life. Like Joseph, anybody heard of Joseph? Joseph's this guy in the Bible. Uh, he tells his brothers that he has a dream. They're all going to bow down to him someday. He, they get all fussed out at him. Just like brothers will, Right? And so they decide to kill him, which is just what happens in every family. Then <laughs> they throw him in a hole until they figure out how they're going to do the deed. And one of his brothers, you know, speaks on his behalf. And he was going to come back and let him out. But while he was gone, the other brothers decide, you know, we're not going to kill him. So we'll just sell him into slavery. So that's how Joseph's early years begin. Being sold as a slave by his brothers happens all the time. Well, things go from bad to worse. He's a slave. Trying to mind his own business. His boss's wife takes a fit. You know the story of Joseph? Goes from being a slave to being in jail. It's Genesis chapter 37 in the back of the, you know, the book of Genesis. But you can just read all these things. Joseph pounded again and again. His life goes from bad to worse. He finally has one glimmer of hope. He interprets some dreams. And the guy who interpreted the dreams for forgets about him. Forgets that he even exists for another two or three years. But then finally... It just so happened, what a coincidence, that the pharaoh of Egypt has this massive dream. Nobody can help him understand it. This one guy who is uh, in his court now, working as uh, a member of the government, recalls that a dude in prison interpreted his dream. Hey, you should call him. What was his name? Jim, John, Joseph. Joseph. And Joseph goes from the jailhouse to the penthouse in the span of interpreting a pharaoh's dream. Now, everybody knows that because we're looking back on it historically, but how was Joseph when he was 35 and rotten in jail? Was he feeling like maybe God had forgotten him? Was he struggling with the wisdom of God in his life? Yeah, probably just a little bit. You're in good company. If, 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 If you have felt those feelings and thought those thoughts. But here's the deal. Joseph... He just kept going. He figured that somewhere, somehow, God was going to bring this all together to some resolution. And all of a sudden, he's number two in what was the known world at that time. God's wiser than us. We'll talk about that through the series. But let me finish with this. How do I trust God more? Just real simple. You get to know him. You get to know him better. Some of you are like, that is so JV, Mark. Come on. Give me some varsity stuff here. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to get to God, you know, know God more. Okay, next. No, stop down. This is the key to everything in your Christian life. And, then let's, and don't, conf- don't, don't flip the script on me. I'm not saying know about God more. There is a huge difference between knowing about somebody and knowing that person. Isn't that true? I, I think it's still necessary that we read our Bibles and familiarize, familiarize ourselves with God and his character and his nature. We know about him, we form our theologies, we shape our doctrines. That's all great, part of it. But the Christian life is a life of intimacy with God. He's a living God. He's not just the subject of this old book that we read. He's a living, active, involved in your life and mine, God. And the, the quality of my relationship with him is it, it, tied to this inextricably. I've got to get to know him better. 
Think about the people you trust. Are they the people you know best or the people you know least? Like how many of you, if you were, uh, you know, filling out a, a document at a doctor's office and you came to that spot where it says emergency contacts, has anybody ever turned to someone in the waiting room with you and said, hey, we've never met. Would you like to be my emergency contact? Does anybody do that? Maybe that's happened before. <laughs> uh, but, but most of us would have people that we would have in mind for that situation. Hey, I'm going to write down my wife's name, or I'm going to write down my parents' name, or I'm going to write down, you know who I write down? I write down my wife, Eleanor, and then my buddy, Tom Eichem, who's our executive pastor here. Why do I do that? Well, if they can't get a hold of Eleanor, they'll probably get a hold of Tom, he'll answer his phone, and the rest of the things can go off. But I also do that because I've married Eleanor and spent the most glorious 23 years of my life with that person, and I mean that. And then I've been a friend to Tom for almost 18 years. I mean, yeah, of course I'm going to trust them in an emergency with me because I know them. Because I know them. How do you get to know God beyond just knowing about him but knowing him personally? Those three things, and I'll leave you with these. Read his letter. Read his book. I believe that the, not only that God is a living God, but that his word is a living word. And that when you and I open his word, we're not just interacting with some ancient stories and some you know, people from the past. We're... we're we're interacting with the God and the Spirit who wrote that word. And that when, when, when I, listen, I don't know if anybody's been listening. If, if someone's sleeping next to you, wake them up, because I want them to hear this part. But you could sleep through a, a ton of sermons. You could, has anybody ever read a book and not read a book? You know what I'm talking about. Who's been in school, right? You saw the words, but you have no comprehension of what happened, right? All of a sudden, you're shutting the, th- and you're like, well, that was fun. I don't know what happened there, but, Okay. So you can, you can hear the word preached, you can read the word as it's written, okay? But then there are times, even this morning, there have been times, maybe this whole sermon, eh, yeah, you can take it or leave it, right? You're not going to put it up there in Mark's like top ten. But I pray every morning when I get up to preach that I would not be heard, that I would not speak, but who would speak? That God would speak and that God would be heard. And I, I can't help but believe, because I've sat in church with you, that every once in a while, when that pastor's up there yammering along, no matter what quality of communicator he is, that God pops in to this little one-way conversation that we're having, and he says something through that dude or through me, and it's, it's the thing that you were supposed to hear. It was the reason that you showed up this morning. It's what's got to change in your life. And, and that's what happens when we interact with God and his word. When we interact with God and hear his word spoken, is he wants to speak to us. So if you haven't made a practice of reading God's word, if you haven't made a practice of hearing it taught, if you're not in a life group, or if you aren't in situations where you can know more about God from his word, that's got to change because you want to trust him more and the way that you trust him more is you get to know him and you get to know him through his word. The second thing is this. We've already talked about it, but reflect on his promises. Or, excuse me, last service. Reflect on his provision. God's been a, a, a providing God. Everything you've had is from him. In fact, Eleanor started this practice in our family. I'm so grateful she did. Uh, she, she started writing down all the things uh, that God has done for us so that we wouldn't forget them. In those times of stress, and, and mm, we, we don't want to have spiritual needs, so we want actual physical records of the things that God has done for us. I got a, I got a file by my drawer of cards and letters from church people so that when I'm having a bad day, it happens for pastors, just like it happens for all of us, and I'm wondering, is this really what I should be doing? I don't feel effective. I don't feel called. I don't feel, uh, I can open that drawer and I can remember, oh, on this day in 2006, God took this loser and allowed him to say these things that made an impact on this family so that their lives could move forward in the glory of God. Well, if he did it then, maybe he's going to still do it now 
and I expect him to do it in the future, right? We remember well the provisions that God has given us. That's how we get to know him more. We reflect on our relationship. Just like anybody get together and talk about the good old days with some old friends of yours? Anybody? Just me? Yeah, you, you just hang out and say, remember when's, right? Hey, remember the time? Hey, remember the time? Hey, remember the time, right? Remember the time, right? And you just keep doing that. Well, why do humans keep doing that? Because that, that relationship was wrought, brought forth from the fiery furnace in those times. It's what makes you friends, family, makes you fond of each other. Remember those provisions. It'll keep you and move you deeper into relationship. And then the final thing is this, and I'll let you go home. React to his promptings. I think it's really easy. It's just talking about, you know, my speaking or anybody speaking. It's really easy when God pops in and says something in the midst of you reading his word or in the midst of me teaching his word or someone else talking about him, uh, that when he says it, and you know that this is what he was trying to say to you. This is my stuff. He's reading my mail. This is my thing. And you have this option because I'm going to end here in like two minutes. Eh, give me a grace on that. But, uh, but, but you're going to be able to walk out of here and you're going to decide in, ne- in an, another week at church, am I going to do what God said for me to do or not? And how many times do we walk out of here and we're like, oh, I got to do this. I really got to do this. And it's from the time that we leave this room to us putting the ign- key in the ignition that we've already gone on to the next thing because we're hungry and we got to get to the restaurant before the other Baptists get there. And so off we go, right? And that one thing that God wanted for our lives is just poof. Pull that into other relationships. Husbands, if your wife comes to you and says, this is what I need from you. And you constantly say to her, hey, I got you. But in the time it takes for you to walk from the kitchen back to your chair, you've completely forgotten or just chosen to to neglect what she's asked you to do. How's that relationship going to go? We've all done it. Is that building your marriage? Or is that cratering your relationship with your wife? It's cratering it. Why? Because you're not responsive to the things that someone in your relationship with needs. Anybody got kids? Ever told your kids, this is what I need from you? Have your kids ever looked at you like you're from another planet? <laughs> he speaks with forked tongue. Who is this? You know, uh, I don't understand anything that you're saying. You got four heads up there, Dad. How's that for your relationships? Is that a fun night at your house? No. Uh, Why is it any different for us in our relationship with God? That when he speaks to us and prompts us, and we just constantly give him the forearm shiver and say no, how can we expect our relationship with him to move forward? Some of you are like, I don't ever hear him speak. Hey, start paying attention. It's It's not that God's never spoken to you. You're not used to hearing it, and if you are used to hearing it, you're really used to saying no. So start paying attention for the promptings of the Holy Spirit. I know when mine are. This is when I say no to God. Hey, Mark, go back to Chick-fil-A. Get that homeless guy Chick-fil-A sandwich. Don't give him any money because he's just going to drink it or put it up his nose. But go get him a sandwich. Tell him that God loves him. Tell him that, you know, there's a church that would love to have him come. Go do that. And I know that I know that I know that God has told me that over the din of the radio and yelling kids in the back of the van. And I said, God, come on. I'm hungry. I want to eat this Chick-fil-A. Not get back in line. 
And I've blown past the guy with the sign. And I know I've been rebellious. That's not me moving the ball forward in my relationship with God. I can also tell you that the times when I've stopped down, sensing the leading of the Holy Spirit, gone up to someone at the prompting of God and just been like, hey, I don't know, this might be weird, but I'm just doing what I sense I'm supposed to do. Are you okay? And had that person break down and have them share with me that there's been this hidden hurt that they've kept from everybody forever and forever, and it was on their heart, and I don't know why you asked, but here it is, and blah, and it was the beginning of their healing. Oh, that, that makes me hungry for some more of that. I want to be available to God. I want to see him work in those ways. I want to be set to wonder over his faithfulness and his, his amazingness because he prompts those kinds of things. So, you want to build your relationship with God? Hear him. Do what he says. It just builds your relationship. Just like in any other relationship, when you serve those who ask, it makes that relationship stronger. I'm out of time. But we're going to talk about trusting and obeying God for six weeks. And my prayer is this, is that all of us raise the ceiling, that we would trust God with everything that we are, that we would be like we say around here. We exist to surrender to God. I pray that we would surrender everything that we are and everything that we have to him. And as, 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 as an act of, of, of surrender and of trust, we would learn to, not by second nature, but by our very nature, learn to obey him in everything he leads us to do. That's my hope for our church. And I pray for us in that regard. Let's pray. Hey, God, thanks so much for your word and a chance to open it now. And, and, and then just to learn about you and your trust. Thanks for your, your word chronicles for us. Um, just the amazing ways that you've been faithful over and over and again to us rebellious humans. And that, uh, you know, if, if we look hard enough, we're going to see that in our past, God. And we're going we're gonna to be able to understand that your wisdom is beyond ours and that your sovereignty is unfailing and that you're, uh, you are good when it comes to your promises. And, and you're going to keep them. We can trust you. Help us to do that, God. For every man, woman, and child in this room, I pray that you would teach us to trust you in everything in our lives and then to obey you as a result. Uh, Lead us in that, Lord, I pray, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you have a great week, please? All right, I'll see you next time. God bless you as you go.